everyone. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here this morning. Get your Bibles out if you would, please. First John chapter 3 is where we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. First John chapter 3, you can follow along on the screen as well. I'm going to read it to you out of the message, which may be a little bit different for the version that you're reading that you have in front of you. It's starting in verse 18. It says, my dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're living truly, living in God's reality. It's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism, even when there's something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. And friends, once that's taken care of and we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves, we're bold and free before God. We're able to stretch our hands out and receive what we've asked for because we're doing what He said, doing what pleases Him. Again, this is God's command to believe in his personally named son, Jesus Christ. He told us to love each other in line with the original command. As we keep his commands, we live deeply and surely in him, and he lives in us. And this is how we experience his deep and abiding presence in us by the spirit he gave us. We've been talking about how this is such an interesting passage, and there really is just a ton jam-packed into these verses. But the thing I've been kind of putting our finger on the last several weeks is that this passage shows something I think most of us are aware of, and that is there's all these different realities that are vying for our attention and for our allegiance. There's the reality of what culture says. There's the reality of what your feelings and thoughts and emotions say. There's the reality of what your, your friends and family say. There's the reality of even what the devil says and what he's trying to get you to do. But just like this verse says, there's also God's reality. And so every single day, every single moment, we have a choice to make. And that choice is by which reality are we going to live our lives? It's a choice. You have a choice to either follow your thoughts and what your, those random thoughts that go through your head or those, are, those emotions that go through you or your hormones that are so big and they, they're trying to get you to do different things or what culture says. They're all vying for our attention and for our allegiance. And so you have a choice. By which reality are you going to live your life by? We've been doing a series around here called We Believe. And what we're doing is that we're going through the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed was, was put together in 325 AD, and it was an attempt to thwart all the increasing heretical things that were coming into the church and the humanistic philosophies that were bombarding the believers at that time. And because the vast majority of people didn't have scripture to ground themselves into, unknowingly uh, they were being swayed by all of these, all the culture and the different things that were coming into the church. And so the Nicene Creed was a way for people to be able to come together and proclaim and declare these foundational items of scripture. We call them absolutes, the absolutes of scripture to ground yourself into that truth in the midst of all these other voices that you would ground yourself in biblical truth. So we're going through these here over the last several weeks. It's up here on the screen. Can we say this again here this morning with each other? Say this with me. Here we go. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. 
he suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, worldwide, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And so this is the Nicene Creed. And what we've been doing has been going through line by line and looking at these foundational biblical truths for our lives. We're here on the, the seventh section. We're going to look at that here this morning, which says, We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Now, there's two aspects to this declaration. I kind of want to kind of break it up here for you this morning. The first aspect is there's only one baptism for followers of Jesus Christ. There's only one baptism for followers of Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to this story. A mother looked out, out a window and saw Johnny playing church with her three kittens. He had them lined up and was preaching to them, and the mother smiled and turned around to do some work. But just a short while later, she heard the meowing and scratching on the door. She rushed to the door and looked outside and saw all the cats were sopping wet, and Johnny was in the process of dunking the last of the kittens underwater. Johnny, what are you doing? She cried. I'm baptizing the cats, he replied. Johnny, stop that. You'll drown those kittens. Johnny looked at her and said, they should have thought about that before they joined my church. <laughs> now, whose church was Johnny baptizing those kittens into? That's right, his church. I've encountered a lot of Christians over the years who've been baptized several different times. And one of the major reasons for this is there's this thinking and there's even church doctrine that suggests that if you join this or that church, then you need to be baptized. You need to be water baptized into that church. But the question becomes, what does Scripture say? What does Scripture say about that? Because remember, there's all these different realities. And there is church doctrine. There is church realities. But what does Scripture actually say about that? Well, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, what does Scripture say? Scripture says that there is just one baptism for the forgiveness of sin, just one baptism, which means there's not supposed to be a baptism for Presbyterians and a, a different baptism for Methodists and a different baptism for Baptists and a different baptism for Catholics and Lutherans and a different one for Charismatics and Pentecostals and a different one for Nazarenes. That's not the way it's supposed to be. There's not supposed to be all these different baptisms that's going on in the body of Christ. And the reason for this is because the church doesn't belong to us. The church doesn't belong to a denomination. It doesn't belong to a man or a woman. It doesn't belong to one building. It doesn't belong to a name. The church belongs to only one. And the Apostle Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It says, He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. And so who does the church belong to? The church belongs to Jesus, which means when we are water baptized, who are we baptized into? That's the only one. We are baptized into Jesus Christ. We're not baptized into a church. We're not baptized into a denomination. We're not baptized into a name of a, of a leader of a church. You know, the early believers in the city of Corinth were struggling with this as well. I want you to look at how the Apostle Paul addressed this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may no, be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I'm thankful that I didn't baptize any of you except for Crispos and Gaios, so that no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanos. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now look at what's happening here, because the believers there in Corinth, they were, they, were, they were struggling with this thing that we're talking about. They're struggling with all these different baptisms and all these different things they would come under and they would rally behind. But there's just one baptism. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. There's just one baptism for the forgiveness of our sins. Apollos can't save you. Caiaphas can't save you. Not even the Apostle Paul can save you. And when you look at this passage, he was addressing this issue so directly that I would think that this should not ever be an issue for the church after this. I can understand when the church is still forming, they're still trying to figure all these types of things out. How can people can, people can be kind of aligned and have their allegiance sway towards one person or another, one leader or one church or another. But the Apostle Paul was dealing very directly with this here in Scripture. And so you think that this would, would no longer be an issue. But all we have to do is jump forward 2,000 years later and we're still struggling with that same thing. We're just using different names. We say, I'm Catholic, I'm Lutheran, I'm Baptist, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Methodist, I'm Charismatic, I'm Pentecostal, I'm whatever. We, just, we add a different name, but it's exactly what was going on there within the church of Corinth. We're falling into the same trap that they did 2,000 years ago. Look at this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. It says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is, there, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for, all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, when you're baptized, you're not baptized into a local congregation. That's what he's talking about. We're not baptized into a local church with a different church's name. We're baptized into Jesus. And so when you're water baptized... That's, you're, you're baptized under the name of Jesus Christ, which means now you are a Christian. You are a Christ follower. That's the name that we're supposed to take there. You're buried with Jesus, you're raised with Jesus, and now you live your life in Jesus. That's the name that we're supposed to take on. But yet so often we're forming these divisions because of these denominations that we affiliate with. But again, the Apostle Paul says, you're getting it mixed up. Some of you are saying, I'm with Apollos. Or some of you are saying, I'm Catholic. Or some of you are saying, you're with Caiaphas. Or some of you are saying, you're Presbyterian. Or some of you are saying, you're this or that. And Paul says, is Christ divided? 
No, we are Christ's followers. And so when we're water baptized, we're baptized into Jesus. We're buried with Jesus. We're raised with Jesus. And now we then live with Jesus. And it's this one baptism that creates this radical equality amongst the followers of Jesus Christ. Because whether you're Ugandan or Texan, whether you're male or female, young or old, rich or poor, whether you're a pastor or a prostitute, we all have the same problem. And that problem is sin. And we all need a Savior. The ground at the cross is level because we all have the exact same problem. We all have sin. We all need to be forgiven. And it's this one baptism that puts us all on that same level. Again, verse 28, Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, why was the Apostle Paul writing this? Well, the reason was because in his day, Jews didn't eat with Greeks. Jews wouldn't eat with Greeks. They wouldn't associate with Greeks. Slaves couldn't mingle with free people. And women were looked at as less than men. But Paul says, water baptism, it puts us all on the same level. We all have the same issue, male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free. Now there is no, we're all in that same. It creates this incredible equality. But culture has a way of separating us. Culture has a way of trying to say, you're better than I am. I'm better than you are. And it was back then, it still is today. We're still creating those differences and, and uh, those characteristics where we're saying one is better than the other. Baylor is better than UT. <laughs> the Aggies are better than Baylor, right? The Packers are better than the Cowboys. Now, I know that to be true, right? All right? Republicans are better than Democrats. We can just go on and on and on, right? One color is better than another color. Living on this side of the tracks is better than living on that side of the tracks. Which people are greater than, um, than, than um, poor people? Whatever it is, men, women, whatever it is, culture has a way of separating us, education or non-education. Culture has a way of separating us and trying to make one feel better than the other. But here in this verse, Apostle Paul is describing that in Jesus. When we're baptized into Jesus, then we're all one. And this is a radical equality that no politician and no government will ever be able to accomplish. And that's why when we declare there's one baptism for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, this is the aspect that we're talking about. There's just one. There's just one baptism for the forgiveness of sin. That's the first aspect. The second aspect of this is that water baptism plays a powerful role of transformation in our lives. Water baptism plays a powerful role of transformation in our lives. I want you to look at this in Romans chapter 6. And I'm going to read it actually out of, out of the message here. And if you, message is obviously not a direct translation, by the way, if you're trying to figure out um, why I read different translations, um, in my opinion, just so you can understand. So the New King James Version probably has the most accurate English translation that has been written. Those of you who favor King James, 
Um, you need to understand that that was one of the first English translations, but it's definitely not the best English translation. New King James is probably the best. The NIV is the most popular, and it's close to the New King James, but the NIV came out before the New King James, and so more copies tend to be bought from the NIV than the New King James. But I like that when you read like the New Living Translation or the Message, it's more of a paraphrase written in our language. So it's not a direct translation, but it helps you get the thought of what's going on in our kind of our modern day English language. And so I want to hear this in kind of our modern day language here in Romans chapter 6 verse 1. It says, so what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer at sin's every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was the signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You're dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Now, notice what the Apostle Paul is describing here. Because the Apostle Paul is describing that when we are water baptized, we're coming out of one country and entering then into a new country. How many of you have traveled abroad and gone from one country to another? Any of you? All right. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about we're coming from one country that has its rules and laws and its ways of doing things, and we're stepping into a completely different country that has different ways of doing things. So what is he talking about here? What does this mean for us in, in, the, in regards to us living our lives and being followers of Jesus Christ? Well, he's addressing something that I think a lot of us don't really understand, and that is there are three kingdoms that we have to contend with. There are three. There is the kingdom of God, or the Bible also describes it as the kingdom of light. There's the kingdom of Satan, and the Bible also describes it as the kingdom of darkness. And there's also the kingdom of this world. These are three kingdoms that are affecting our lives, and we have to contend with these three kingdoms. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, explained Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. 
Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Now look what Jesus is describing here. Because Jesus is describing this, this thing that we have to contend with between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of Satan. And Jesus describes that when we invite him into our lives... When we give the reins of our life and let him be the Lord, the director, the driver of our life, then an amazing miracle happens in our life. And that miracle is this. The part of you that is eternal, your spirit, the part of you that was created in the image of God, that was then held hostage by the kingdom of darkness. When you allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life, your spirit is immediately taken out of the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of light. It's an amazing miracle that happens. And before, before you give Jesus control over your life, your spirit really doesn't have any influence to you. It's held captive by the, by the kingdom of darkness. But when you ask Jesus to come into your life, it's transformed. It's transformed. And the Bible calls it, you are born again. You come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. From, from the devil's kingdom to God's kingdom. And it's an amazing miracle that happens, which deals and addresses these two kingdoms. He's talking talks about this is, this is what happened. You are born again. Your spirit is born alive. It's born again. That's what we call salvation. That's what happens when we give our life to Jesus. And so it addresses those two kingdoms, but there's still a third kingdom that we still have to contend with, and that's the kingdom of this world. Look at how the Bible describes our interaction with the kingdom of this world. First John 2, verse 15, it says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In James 4, 4, it says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, just by reading this, every, every one of us should understand this issue of the kingdom of the world is a pretty big deal, Right? Just by looking at these two passages, this issue of the kingdom of the, of the world that impacts our life is a pretty important thing that, that we have to address. And that's why over and over in Scripture, you'll see a two-step process. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it describes this as Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, I want you to underline a couple of words here. The first word I want you to underline is the word Repent. And then the second words I want you to underline are the words, be baptized. Repent and be baptized. These two words describe this two-step process. The step, step one is repent. Turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, repent. Oh, that was really weak. I think when you say repent, you've got to have a little bit more gusto to it. Try, try it again. Turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, repent. Oh, okay, that's much better. You don't have any street preachers around here down in Spicewood? Repent is what he's talking about. In other words, you've got to deal with this kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. That's what he's talking about. You've got to deal with this kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. You must be born again. You must be saved. You must repent. Now, the problem with most of us when we hear the words repent we have, a, we have a difficulty really understanding what that word repent means. And a lot of people kind of look at this kind of like the kid who was called in his classroom to come up front to solve the math problem that's on the chalkboard. Now, are there chalkboards still in classes? I don't know. Are, do we still have chalkboards out there? 
whiteboards, chalkboards, you know what it is, all right? We'll go back to chalkboard, whiteboard, same sort of thing. So there's this math problem that the teacher calls up this little boy, and he has to go up there, and he's got to solve the math problem. And so he's up there working and working and working and working, trying to solve this math problem. Finally, he gets his answer and says, I'm done. He puts the chalk down or he puts the, the marker down. The teacher looks at it and says, I'm sorry, that's not the right answer, and goes ahead and erases the board then. He said, so I'm sorry, that's, that's not the right answer, but the good news is you can try again. Now, how many of you know that is not good news? Just trying again and again and again without having the solution is not good news, right? A lot of us, that's how we see repentance. We're trying to live our lives right And God puts his finger on something and says, that's not the way to live. But the good news is you can try again. A lot of us, that's how we think repentance is. I'm just supposed to try again. But it's not good news for you just to try again and try again and try again without having the solution. But a lot of us, that's how we view repentance. And this is why repentance is not just an act by itself. It's connected with something else, which is step number two, be baptized. Now turn to your neighbor, tell your neighbor, be baptized. baptized. All right, you learned from last time. In other words, in other words, you've got to deal with this kingdom of the world. Because if you don't deal with the kingdom of the world, it's still like you're trying to just try harder and try harder, try again and try again. I'm going to work and work and work, but I still don't have the solution until I've addressed the kingdom of this world. Water baptism is the ultimate act of surrender that opens the door for the solution to how to live this Christian life. Did you hear me? Water baptism is the ultimate surrender that opens the door for you to be able to actually have the solution to live this Christian life. The Apostle Paul, again, said it this way in Romans 6, verse 6. He said, could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin, miserable life. No longer at sins every beck and call. Verse 11, from now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language. That means nothing to you. And so water baptism is that ultimate act of surrender where I let go of my life where I'm letting go of my ways and my ways of doing things. I'm letting go of the world, and I'm letting go of the world's ways of doing things. And when this ultimate act of surrender gets a hold of me, that's when the solution comes. Because now it's not just about me trying and trying and trying and trying and trying again. It's not about me trying harder. It's about the life of Jesus transforming me from the inside out. Paul says in Romans 6, verse 35, he says, this is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life and a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. And that's why then we can proclaim this world no longer has a hold of me. 
This world is no longer my home. My life no longer belongs to me. I belong to Jesus. That's when that proclamation can happen. But this, I think, is where so many people miss it. We miss, we don't under, really understand the importance and the significance of water baptism. So many people just see water baptism as some sort of religious symbol that we're told to do or it's talked about just a little bit. But it's important for you to understand that water baptism is so much more than that. Because we have to understand that God's not only interested in saving you from hell, he's also interested in saving you from yourself and from this world. Did you hear me? This is really important to let that sink inside you. God's not only interested in saving you from hell, he's also interested in saving you from yourself and saving you from this world. Because remember, this world and all of its systems and solutions of just try harder, just try again, all of these are under God's judgment. And so water baptism is this act where I fully surrender all that. I let go of my ways. I let go of the ways of this world. And it addresses this third kingdom, this, this world's kingdom. The problem, I think, for so many of us, why this is so difficult, is because the nation in which we live in still feels really good. This country that we live in are, is so blessed. And it did. It started with godly principles that are still, it's, it's still, it's, it's still working in our culture today. Even though we see a lot of it going by the wayside, there's still a, a foundation that we get the benefit of it because the vast majority of Christians here in this United States, we really aren't persecuted. We're able to come here on a Sunday without any threat to your life. Nobody's around here keeping you out with guns or threatening to kill you. If you decide to follow Jesus, we live here in the United States with so much freedom. And so this idea of this, this kingdom of this world is something that is a real issue in our life. For us as Americans, this is one of the hardest things to comprehend because this world just doesn't, doesn't seem so bad. But when you start looking at the other places in, in the rest of the world, we talked about this last week. If all you have is a Christian, your, your, your Christian mindset is based upon what's happening here in America, you're going to miss what's going on because this is a worldwide thing that God is doing, not just an American thing. And, and, and for you to understand the kingdom of the world and how this impacts other people's lives, look at what's going on in the rest of the world because in so many different other cultures, when a person is water baptized, now you see the significance of that world trying to dominate or control that person. Because when a person is baptized in other cultures, there's major ramifications. There's a great book out there by Watchman Nee called A Living Sacrifice. And he quotes some amazing facts in the religious world of Judaism and Hinduism and Islam. I want you to listen to this. Judaism persecutes the baptized. Among the Jews, a person may be a secret Christian without being persecuted. The greatest difficulty with many hundreds and thousands of Jews is not believing in the Lord Jesus, but rather in being baptized. Once the person is baptized, he's liable to be cast out and disowned. For most of us, that's not something we've experienced. If you've been water baptized, most of us here in this room, then you, you probably weren't cast, cast out and disowned by your family or your community. You weren't persecuted by those who love you. Most of us, we don't experience that because, again, our culture is predominantly Christian. We live in kind of a Christian world around us, and so we don't experience that sort of persecution. But if you, are in, if you grew up in a strong Jewish culture and a strong Jewish society, and you make a decision to follow 
after Jesus, and then you're water baptized, that's when the persecution happens. Listen to this. Hinduism ostracizes the baptized. In India, no one will lay hands on you if you remain unbaptized, but as soon as you're baptized, you'll be ostracized. It is as if the world permits you to have eternal life, but stands against anyone being baptized. Now, if you know anything about Hinduism, Hindus, those who are Hindus, they have hundreds and thousands of gods. And so the idea of, of saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, no big deal. All you're doing is adding 1,001 gods to your life. And Jesus is just one of those gods. No big deal. But in a Hindu culture, when you say, I'm going to be water baptized, now it changes. Because now what you're saying, all these other gods I'm letting go. All these other gods I will no longer serve. And then that's where the persecution happens. Because now people look at you and say, you're not one of us. You're no longer a Hindu. And so you'll be ostracized there in that culture. Islam is even further. Islam murders the baptized. The reaction of Islam is, is more severe. It is rare to find a living Mohammedan who turned Christian. For Muslims kill those that do. Among the Muslims... Those who believe must immediately be sent away or else within two or three days after baptism, they will be murdered. This is not something we experience here in the United States. If you were baptized, there was no one standing outside of the door ready to kill you once you were water baptized. And this is why I think for Americans, this issue of water baptism has such a little significance in our life. And as a result, we never contend with the third kingdom, the kingdom of this world. And for a lot of you, this is one of the major reasons why your spiritual life has only gone so far. Amen. Yes, you've dealt with the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness if you ask Jesus to come into your life. But if you don't understand this kingdom of this world and what this means, the issue of complete surrender with that, then it will always thwart your spiritual growth. It'll keep you from moving forward here. And so, so when I am water baptized, even though our culture doesn't persecute it, you need to have that same stance where you're saying, I'm letting it go of my life. Yes, I'm going to live for Jesus, but as well, I'm ready to give my life for him. Water baptism is that step facing the world and saying, this world is no longer my home. I no longer belong to this world, and I'm not, not going to just live my life based upon the world's culture, the world's reality. I'm not going to live my life just based upon what I want, my feelings, my hormones, my thoughts. I'm coming out of that, and I'm going to die to those things. I'm going to come under the water, and then when I'm raised, I'm coming into a whole different country of living by God's reality. Amen. Listen, folks, this is a missing element in so many of our in so many of our spiritual journeys, because we're still trying to live this life with the love of the world. We're still trying to do, do this, treating the world as our home. We're still trying to live by the world's solutions and systems of just try harder. Listen, folks, that's not good news. That's not good news. Jesus has given us the solution. So when we declare, we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, we're recognizing there's just one baptism. There is just one. We're not baptized into different churches under different names. We're baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're recognizing 
that water baptism is this powerful act of surrendering my life that produces this extraordinary transformation because I'm taking a step out of this world. And I'm saying this world is not my home. I'm not going to live my life by my own agenda, my own things. I belong to Jesus. I have a question for you here. If you knew that you would be persecuted if you got water baptized, would you still do it? If you knew that you were going to be ostracized with your friends and your families, if you would be pushed out from your family and no longer looked at as part of the family, if you'd be shunned by your community and by your family, never able to interact again, would you still be water baptized? If you knew that you were going to be killed because you were getting water baptized, would you still do it? See, this is the step that goes beyond just saying, Jesus, come into my life. Water baptism is that ultimate surrender that I'm not going to just live my life for Jesus, but I'm willing to die, to give my life fully for Jesus, no matter the cost. And when that happens, when you take that step, all of a sudden, you come out from one country into another country. You come into God's country. This world no longer is your home. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journeys. I don't know where you are and in, in, in even in terms of water baptism. You know, so often for so many people, water baptism is treated as, you know, kind of a sub thing. And you do it or you don't do it. Sometimes if you're in different churches, you have to be baptized before you can have before you can have communion. Other people are baptized when they're infants. And so they ever, it's never a part of their adult conversion, their adult decision. And so as a result, this issue of the world, this issue of fully surrendering my life, me, myself, making a decision, not my parents, but I'm making a decision, this gets left out of your spiritual journey. And so I want to encourage you to look at this. We're making, the, it's a declaration, the Nicene Creed. We believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Can you declare that yet? Can you make that a, a declaration? We do a thing here at One Chapel every first Wednesday of every month. Um, the three communities that we have, One Chapel has, has a congregation in Kyle, one in Austin, now one here in Lake Travis. And the first Wednesday of every month, we just gather together to worship and to pray and, and just to come together as, as our three communities and and uh, just to kind of go for it. And each one kind of has had its different emphasis and stuff. The one coming up here in June, it's actually going to be done for the first time in Kyle. Um, Kyle was a, it's a community that we, we birthed um, back in uh, end of January, right before we, uh, this, this church was launched together. And the merge came here. And, but it's a brand new church right there in Kyle. And it's doing fantastic things. And we're going to, June, the first, first Wednesday of June, um, we're going to come together as three congregations in Kyle. Uh, we just have purchased a midweek space uh, for that community to do catalysts and small groups. And it has an outdoor space where we can come together. And we're going to do an outside service the first week of June, first Wednesday of June. Um, is that's our first Wednesday. And in that, we're going to do water baptisms. And so I want to encourage you, if water baptism is a non, 
issue, has a non-significant point in your life, I want to encourage you to take a step and say, I'm going to address this. I'm going to, this issue of fully surrendering my life where I can declare this world's not my, not my home. I'm letting go of my life. I want to encourage you to come. You can go right there on the website, onechapel.com, and sign up for this and sign up for Be Water Baptized. But more importantly, I, I want you to contend with this. This is a significant thing. Repent and be baptized. There, when you do that, you'll see major movement in your life. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes right now. Father, I pray right now that, that by your spirit, by your presence, that you would just work inside of every one of our hearts. God, you know where every one of us are on these journeys. And God, I know that first and foremost, you want us in your kingdom. God, more than anything, you just want us in your kingdom. You want us to be born again. You want us to be saved. And so, Father, I pray for every person here in this room. Maybe this has been confusing. Maybe, maybe you've, con- you've come to church before and you've kind of done this church thing, but you've never really given your life to Jesus Christ. And maybe you're the one questioning like Nicodemus was when Jesus said, you must be born again. And maybe you're trying to figure out, how how am I supposed to be born again? But maybe here today, all of a sudden, your eyes have been opened to something. You're saying, I want that. I know there's more to my life than just going through what I've been going through. And so right where you are, ask Jesus to come into your life. Just ask him right there where you are. You, You don't need me to do that. You don't need anybody else to do it. Just with your own mouth, just ask him to come. The Bible says that, If we'll confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so just right where you are, just make that confession. Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that God sent you to save me, that God sent you to give me new life. And I want that. Just right where you are, just... Just you, you just pray. You just ask, Jesus, come. Come into my life. Take over my life. I want you to work in my life. The Bible says that when that happens, when you make that decision, heaven rejoices, the angels begin to declare the glory of God, and all of a sudden, your spirit is born again. Now you're going to be able to hear the voice of God. Now you're going to be able to know more of God's will and his purposes for your life because the part of you that was made in God's image is now alive and active inside of you. Maybe for others of you, though, you made that decision and you've been trying to live this Christian life, but, but this issue of repent and be baptized... <laughs> Maybe that's something that you just never heard about. Maybe that's something that has never really been an issue or something significant in your life. And I want to encourage you right here and right now just to settle it. Just to settle this issue that this world is not your home. It's that surrendering thing. Instead of just trying to do it over and over and over. Some of you, that's what you've been doing. You feel the conviction of God and what you're doing. And so you say, ah, I got to try again. Oh, I got to try again. I got to try again. You've just been working, 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 trying harder, trying to do it again. 
And the missing thing has been the solution. You, miss the, you don't know what the solution is. It's not about just trying harder. It's about having the solution. The good news of what Jesus came to do is not only to give us new life, but to give us the solution that changes how we live life here. And so it starts with this act of surrender. We say, I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go of my life and my ways of doing things. I'm going to let go of the world and the world's ways of doing things. I'm coming out of this country and I'm coming in to God's country. I'm going to live my life by God's reality and not the world's reality and not my reality. So right where you are, right where you are, just begin to let go. Just begin to surrender. Just a fresh and a new and say, God, I surrender my life. I surrender every part. My, I surrender my goals and my hopes and my dreams. I surrender my right to be right and my right to have it done my own way. God, I just surrender. The, I let go of these things. Right where you are, just begin to surrender those things. If you would, I'm just going to ask you just to open up your hands. It's right in front of you. This is the physical demonstration of surrender. Every child knows it. And we as parents, as, ki- as older adults, somewhere, somehow, we let pride come in. And we begin to live our lives like we don't need anybody, like we can do it ourselves. So right there where you are, just open up your arms, open up your hands. And just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you. I let go of my life, and I want your life. I let go of all these worries and all these fears. I let go of my opinions and my ways of doing things. I let go of the, of the systems and structures of just trying to do it harder and do it again and try more. I let go of that. Jesus, I want you to work in me. I want your life to be inside of my life, that you'll work inside of me from the inside out. I just let go, and I receive here this morning. I receive. We're going to take communion here together. And when you think about this table, it is... It is the ultimate act of surrender that Jesus shows us, where he gave his life for us. And this is an invitation. Don't ever lose that. That the table, the communion table, is Jesus' invitation to you, where he says, I've given you my life. The Bible describes for us, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread And he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant that was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. It's an invitation. Jesus said, I give you my life 
Will you give me your life? And so as we take communion here together, when we take communion, we're responding and saying, I, Jesus, I accept your life and I give you my life. How we do this here at One Chapel is we celebrate open communion, which means this, you don't have to be a member of this church. This table, Jesus set. This church didn't set it. And so if you're a believer in Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to be a part of this. I invite you to celebrate this. I invite you to this invitation.